Which sect of Mormonism is the true one? Well, Earl Erskine and I will talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Joseph Smith claimed that he had a vision where <laughs> God and Joseph Smith appeared to him at the same time. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ? <laughs> Who did I say? Joseph Smith. <gasps> oh my word, I'm sorry. Where God and, and Jesus Christ appeared to him at the same time, and they told him not to join any church because they were all wrong and their leaders were all corrupt. Part of his vision story included the following information. He was told that all religious denominations were believing in incorrect doctrines and that none of them was acknowledged of God as his church and kingdom. All churches and their professors were corrupt and all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. Joseph Smith was told not to join any of the churches, but that the fullness of the gospel would be made known to him, known to him at a later time. Okay, so this is part of LDS church history. You were taught that. I sure up. was. You taught it I, as a bishop. I believed it. <laughs> Polygamy groups teach this supposed historical event as well. In fact, I remember growing up hearing this over and over again in the polygamy group yep. because they teach the same thing. People continue to tell it, rarely checking to see <laughs> if it even could be true. We can either believe what Joseph Smith said or we can believe Jesus Christ. If Joseph Smith's story is true, then Jesus lied to us all. You see... 1800 years earlier, Jesus Christ promised that his church would never fail and neither would his word. And in the Old Testament, God promised his word would endure forever. But Joseph Smith said God's word was corrupted and Jesus' church failed. So either Joseph Smith lied or God lied. One or the other. <laughs> and our eternity depends on who we believe and trust. Either Jesus held his church together or he failed and Joseph Smith had to jump in and do it for him. We quote again. Joseph Smith's first vision stands today as the greatest <coughs> event in world history since the birth, <coughs> ministry, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After centuries of darkness, the Lord opened the heavens to reveal His Word and restore His church through His chosen prophet. Of course, with is all nonsense, <laughs> yeah, based on true historical events and, yeah. of course, the Bible. But if Jesus told the truth, his church did not need to be restored by Joseph Smith or anyone else. According to Mormonism, Joseph Smith has been placed above Jesus in his accomplishments. Yeah. It's troubling to think that Jesus had to recruit Joseph to complete his work that he was unable to do. Now, coming from a Mormon fundamentalist group, we were taught that Joseph Smith did restore the church because Jesus failed to hold it together and that Joseph Smith had a revelation to begin the United Order and the Old Testament, Old Testament practice of polygamy. Polygamy was called the New and Everlasting Covenant, which is described in section 132 of the Mormon's Doctrine and Covenants. Now, according to Mormon fundamentalists, when the LDS Church gave up polygamy in 1904, they gave up commands which they believe had come directly from God specifically to live polygamy. And from that point forward, splinter groups broke off from the mainline LDS Church and started their own separate groups 
where living polygamy and the united order was practiced in each group, all according to the teachings of Joseph Smith. Hmm. And the position that each polygamy group took was that their group and their prophet was the only true church and the only mouthpiece of God on the earth. Now, we know that they can't all be the only true church, but we can know that they can all be wrong. Mm. A disturbing belief in these, uh, in these religions is that when a religious leader has dreams and visions and revelations and prophecies, it both sets the stage and paves the way for its members to also claim to have revelations, visions, and words from above. People of each generation since Joseph Smith have claimed to have received these kinds of visions from God, and there are new, only true churches of God, splinter polygamy groups, rising up continuously, especially in the Intermountain West. Yes. And what's more disturbing is that these visions become more and more bizarre. Somehow they must think that God has to outdo himself <laughs> each time he communicates with the human. And again, another disturbing aspect of all this is that people believe them and follow them. The Bible warns against this kind of behavior, but people would rather believe people instead of God. In fact, Joseph Smith recognized that himself and made this comment. Yeah, from the Makem uh, Make uh, Journal in 1877, it says, what a strange people these Mormons are. They're like a flock of sheep. If I should jump into hell, I believe they'd follow me. Now that's attributed to Joseph Smith. And yeah. I know many Mormons as well as polygamists who follow their leader that fanatically. They would, I know. Now in 1886, after Joseph Smith was dead, John Taylor, who was president of the Mormon church, also claimed he had a vision. He was a polygamist and he had gone into hiding to keep from being arrested for his polygamy. Taylor could see the writing on the wall. He knew that Mormon's polygamy days would soon come to an end, that Congress was not going to make any laws legalizing their polygamy. And just like Joseph Smith before him, John Taylor also had his spiritual visitation. But before we get into the vision and its implications, we must bring a warning from the Bible into the discussion because discernment is very important. We quote from 2 Corinthians 11. Yeah, verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. So the, the message here is masquerading or deceiving yeah. uh, what, what people, who people say they are and yeah. the message that they're bringing. Now, everyone should know and understand that not all spiritual experiences are from God. If what is communicated in the experience does not measure up to the biblical plumb line, it is not from God, period. Despite how wonderful the experience may have made the person feel or the euphoria experienced, if it contradicts God's word, the vision did not come from God. One more warning before we get into the rest of our discussion from 1 John. Yeah, chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
There you are. There, there must be a measuring line to correctly determine the source of any spiritual experience no. or enlightenment because there are many deceivers out there. And there is a measuring line and there is only one and it's the Bible. Now we realize that people don't <laughs> like to hear that, but that's the truth. And the truth uh, it is the truth regardless of, of its popularity. And God cares enough for us to give us his guidelines for knowing truth from error. Using the Bible as our guideline, we can know that John Taylor's 1886 vision was not from God, just like we can know Joseph Smith's vision was not from God. But we need to explain what that vision was all about, and then we'll get into a deeper discussion of it. We also want to compare how the LDS Church deals with and criticizes the polygamous experiences, <laughs> yet fail to use those same standards to judge Joseph Smith's experiences. First of all, there are several different versions of Joseph yeah. Smith's vision. Yeah. In fact, there's nine, isn't there? Nine versions? I think versions. about nine. Yeah. And there's also more than one version of Joseph or, or of John Taylor's vision and contradictions surrounding the event. Immediately, we can doubt the veracity of the claims of both visions when there are con contradicting <laughs> uh, recorded versions of the visions. We have another quote. Yeah, this is from a study guide overview. Common to most of the accounts of John Taylor's 1886 meeting is that Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith visited President Taylor while he was hiding from the government at the home of John W. Woolley. Whilst there, whilst there he received a revelation stating that celestial or plural marriage would never be revoked and ordained men with the authority to perform plural marriages whatever course the church might take. There are many accounts of the 1886 events, just as there are of Joseph Smith's first vision. The primary witnesses being John and Lauren Woolley, Samuel and Daniel Bateman, and John W. Taylor, as well as a few others. Okay, so that's an introduction to what's surrounding the vision, what's going on at the time of John Taylor's experience. The vision was said to have taken place in 1886, but the earliest recorded account of it by any of the persons uh, who were there is sometime between 1888 hmm. and 1891. Now, this, all of this, by the way, has to do with maintaining polygamy. Okay, right. so of course the LDS Church does not like this vi story of this vision of John Taylor because no, it, it, so. is to, it is to preserve polygamy. And we're going to get in that next time. But, but why was there such a delay in telling about oh. it, just like with Joseph Smith's vision? The most complete account uh, of this 1886 vision is from Lauren Woolley, who recorded the event in 1912, 26 years later. And then again in 1929, 43 years later. <laughs> Daniel Bateman was also there, but he didn't record it until 1934, which is 48 years later. And again in 1938, which is 52 years later later, decades after the alleged event. Neither of them experienced John Taylor's vision, but retold what he told them. Now, the 1886 vision of John Taylor was during a difficult time for the Mormons because they persisted in polygamy despite attempts to enforce the laws that were against it. We quote, it seemed that Mormons weren't entitled to such liberty, freedom, and justice as the rest of the Americans. Even church president John Taylor had to go into hiding as there was a price on his head for his capture, and his picture, along with George Q. Cannon's, 
featured on wanted posters throughout the territory. And there's a, a picture there on the screen of uh, the wanted poster of John Taylor and Cannon as they are uh, being sought for breaking the law. Now, we have a reality check here. They mentioned that, that the Mormons don't get the same freedoms as the rest of the country, but Mormons had no more right to break the laws than the rest of Americans did. It was against the law. June of 1886, Gentiles were talking about confiscating Mormons' property. So many leading Mormon men were asking their leaders to do something to satisfy the Gentiles so that their property mm -hmm. would not be confiscated. Now, by the way, uh, I, for people maybe who are watching this and don't know, Mormon in Mormonism, non-Mormons are called Gentiles. Yeah, it's, that, it's that, Mormons and Gentiles. Right, right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Now, the result of all this was that for several months, th these people worked on a manifesto that would satisfy the government, but they couldn't agree on the wording. So they finally decided that since John Taylor was their president, he should take it to the Lord and let God decide on what to say. We quote Lauren Woolley describing John Taylor's vision. Taylor had gone to bed and his bodyguards were in place, and this is what he says happened. President Taylor had entered the South Room to retire for the night. President Taylor's room had no outside door. The windows were heavily screened. Sometime after the Brethren retired, and while I was reading the Doctrine and Covenants, I was suddenly attracted to a light appearing under the door leading to President Taylor's room, and, it, and was at once startled to hear the voices of men talking there. There were three distinct voices. I was bewildered because it was my duty to keep people out of the room, and evidently someone had entered without my knowing it. I made a hasty examination and found the door leading to the room bolted as usual. I then examined the outside of the house and found all the window screens intact. So here's a spiritual experience taking place. Now, when Lauren Woolley recorded the event, he said no visitor had come into the house or gone into Taylor's bedroom, but he could hear the voices. He could hear uh, three of them until midnight, and then one voice left and two other voices continued. One of them he recognized as being John Taylor. We have another quote. The conversation was carried on all night between President Taylor and the visitor and never discontinued until the day began to dawn when it ceased and the light disappeared. When President Taylor came out of his room about 8 o'clock of the morning of September 27, 1886, we could scarcely look at him on account of the brightness of his personage. So he's doing some copying from the Bible, the way he describes some of this. But when John Taylor was asked who his visitor was, he said it was Joseph Smith who was there all night, and it was the Lord who was there until midnight. Really. <laughs> the Bible tells us the dead don't return. So we know Joseph Smith wasn't there. And anyone can claim they saw the Lord. But how can they prove it? The Bible. <laughs> Acts 3. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes to restore all things, which not until when he comes back the second time. Well, John Taylor called a private meeting of five men and it lasted eight hours. Taylor asked them if they were willing to consecrate all they had to the furtherance of the cause of righteousness, which for them was polygamy. And they all said yes, they would give up their lives for the truth if it was required. Please keep in mind that the focus 
The subject, the context of all this was polygamy. The meeting, the manifesto, the confiscation of property, the president in hiding because of polygamy. That's what all of this is about. The polygamists refer to this as the eight-hour meeting. To them, it is a, a very important point in their history. Yeah, and just four years before 1890, of right. course. Right, yeah. right. Okay. So the, here's another quote. He then placed them under covenant to uphold and sustain the principles of the gospel and put each person under covenant that he or she would defend the principle of celestial or plural marriage and that they would consecrate their lives, liberty, and property to this end and that they personally would sustain and uphold that principle. So you can see the whole focus is polygamy. It that's, is. that's what it is, is polygamy. And now at that time, it said that, that John Taylor refused to sign any manifesto that he would rather have his right hand cut off and his tongue torn from his roots before he would sanction a manifesto. Yeah, some more of the quote. Then he talked to us for some time and said, some of you will be handed, handled and ostracized and cast out from the church by your brethren because of your faith, faithfulness and integrity to this principle of celestial marriage. And some of you may have to surrender your lives because of the same. But woe, woe unto those who shall bring these troubles upon you. Three of us were handled and ostracized for supporting and sustaining this principle. There are only three left who were at the meeting mentioned, Daniel R. Bateman, George Earl, and myself. So far as I know, those of them who have passed away all stood firm to the covenants entered into from that day to the, to the day of their deaths. Okay, so you can see how strong they are in on this. By the way, if, if celestial marriage was only eternal sitting in the temple, they wouldn't go to all of this trouble. There wouldn't be all that fear. If it was just the celestial marriage. If it was just marriage. celestial. It's right. polygamy. You're right. And there would be no threats of death and all of that other stuff. Well, after the meeting, John Taylor had five copies of the meeting made, and he gave to each one of the attendees who had been there, Samuel Bateman, Charles Wilkins, George Cannon, Lauren, and John Woolley. And again, <laughs> another quote. This is part of the history of fundamentalism. He then set us apart and placed us under covenant that while we lived, we would see to it that no year passed by without children being born in the principle of plural marriage. We were given authority to ordain others if necessary to carry this work on, and they in turn to be given authority to ordain others when necessary under the direction of the worthy senior by ordination so that there should be no cessation in the work. He counseled us not to begin our work until told to do so by proper authority. He then gave us each, gave each of us a copy of the revelation. I am the only one of the five now living, and so far as I know, all five of the brethren remain true and faithful to the covenants they entered into and to the responsibilities placed upon them at that time. And that's the covenant that the, that the uh, polygamy groups, the FLDS, the Kingston group, the Harmston group, the All Red group, the Independents, all of these, uh, Peterson group, and all these other groups, they are all bound by this covenant. And, and they, they have made covenant to not let a year go by without a child being born. In fact, they have huge families, huge, huge families. And they all, they all remember these uh, events, I guess, the polygamists. They teach us. See, this, is, this authority study guide is a study guide that is for the polygamists, the fundamentalists. It's not a Mormon study guide. Oh, it's a polygamist okay. study guide.
Well, Taylor said that the proposed manifesto was from the lower region, of course, meaning the devil. He also said that the time would come when Mormons would apostatize because of polygamy. And that's what happened. The LDS rejected polygamy uh, within four years in the 1890 manifesto, uh, and the fundamentalists didn't. Lauren Woolley made this incredible statement. John Taylor set the five mentioned apart and gave them authority to perform marriage ceremonies and also to set others apart to do the same thing as long as they remained on the earth. And while doing so, the prophet Joseph Smith stood by directing the proceedings. Two of us had not met the prophet Joseph Smith in his mortal lifetime, and we, Charles H. Wilkins and myself, were introduced to him and shook hands with him. Now again, the Bible says the dead don't return. They have nothing more whatsoever ever to do under the sun after they die. And so we know that this cannot be true, and we'll cover more of that in part two of this. Uh, by the way, I don't know how many people know this, but Spencer W. Kimball, who was the president yeah. of, the, of the Mormon Church a few years ago, um, is a direct relation to these Woolies of the Mormon fundamentalists. The W in Spencer stands W. Kimball stands for Woolley. Yeah. Um, and his grandfather was part of this event. And, and, and we don't, of course, from this don't need to wonder why polygamists get a free pass in Utah. Generational sympathy abounds in Utah, politics and religion towards polygamy. And we've discussed a lot of that. We can see it from the news that comes out when polygamists break the law. Another item worth mention is that during Mitt Romney's presidential campaign many years ago, he made a special speech defending his Mormon faith. I don't know how many yeah. people remember this. I think it was yeah. 2010 or something. But he ended his speech. He defended the Mormon faith, and he ended his speech. He said that he would continue to cling to the faith of his fathers. <laughs> well, Mitt Romney's fathers were polygamists in Mexico, but not very many who heard his speech would have ever been able to make that connection. Romney's fathers and the fundamentalists believe and live as Joseph Smith taught, and much of it was modeled by Joseph Smith. So the fundamentalists really are fundamentalists, orthodoxy clear back to what Joseph Smith taught. Yeah. And he taught polygamy was required for salvation. Mm. You know, as we've done the wives of Joseph Smith, yeah. how many of them did he say, you will secure your salvation and the salvation of your family. And your family too. If you yeah. do this. So yeah. it was very, very important to Mitt Romney's fathers that they continue with polygamy. And of course, we can know through what the Bible teaches that this vision could not have been from God. And it's clear that the polygamists are living out the faith of Joseph Smith, which the LDS Church is not doing. <laughs> In fact, they decry the polygamists, don't yeah. they? Oh, it's, yeah. It's such a switch. Well, they're proud of their heritage. They're proud yes. to have polygamists in their family. But for now, no, there's no, uh, no accepting polygamy at all. They've distance themselves completely, yeah. even though they know that they're going to live it in the afterlife. Right. In fact, they still believe in polygamy. They just don't believe in the polygamists of today. Yeah. You know, they, yeah, they, right. they do. They know that it, they, it's going to be a future thing. They consider thing. them apostates and uh, 
I don't know if they're out, outer darkness, but they're certainly uh, oh, yeah. not outer going darkness. to heaven. Yeah. But, but see, they say that they don't have the authority to do that, that the that's polygamists right. don't yep. have the authority. No, right. But we just read the vision that John Taylor had that gave them the authority. That's right. That Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ personally came to him and gave them the authority to live polygamy. And said this was going to, live, this was going to never be revoked. Right, yeah. exactly. So so next time we're going we're gonna to take a look at how the LDS church tears apart Joseph, or John Taylor's vision, and yet we come and tear apart Joseph Smith's vision, and they don't apply the same standards to his as they do to John Taylor's. Anyway, this is what Joseph Smith said about the polygamy. The ordinances must be kept in the very way God has appointed, otherwise their priesthood will prove a cursing instead of a blessing. So, <laughs> so is the LDS priesthood a cursing? That's what he's saying. The ordinance must be kept the very way God has appointed, and that's what he said. Yeah, Joseph Smith's true. vision was a God-appointed uh, 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 requirement from God, and he says your your priesthood is a blessing if you don't, or is a cursing if you don't do it. So the LDS curse, priesthood is currently a cursing. That's what Joseph Smith said. Now, this, of course, is part one of our discussion as we disseminate the differences between, number one, how the LDS Church has moved away from original Mormonism. Number two, why the fundamentalists stayed with the original doctrine. And number three, how the LDS have made critical analysis of the fundamentalists much the same way that Christians make critical analysis of the LDS. In other words, Mormons hate it when polygamists are referred to as Mormons. Oh, yeah. They insist that we don't refer to them as Mormons, yet polygamists believe and practice true Mormonism, Joseph Smith's Mormonism. At the same time, the LDS claim they're Christians. Now, Christians know they don't believe Christian doctrine. How can polygamists not be Mormons when they believe in Mormon doctrine? And how can Mormons be Christian when they don't believe in Christian doctrine and have made up their own? Next time, of course, we're going to talk about how they, uh, the LDS apologists have criticized John Taylor's vision and the Mormonisms, and there are differing accounts, and we're going to go into some of that detail next time as well. And then, of course, the double standard that they use in their judgments against contemporary Mormon polygamy. Now, how familiar have uh, have you been with any of this? Have you been familiar with this? You know, it's interesting. We don't, since we we Mormons, former Mormons now, but Mormons didn't really associate with polygamists. We we're unaware, I think, in general, of the numbers, of the of the things that go on in polygamy and the, the suffering that they go through and Did you know that John Taylor up? claimed to have, now he was never, president of the church. I'd never heard of the eight minute or whatever, the eight hour meeting. Eight hour meeting. Never heard of that. Okay, the president of the Mormon church. Yeah, and he was my president, He's so to the speak. prophet. You know, he was a prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God. Yeah, I never heard He that. says all of this happens yeah. and the Mormons don't know anything about it. No. Well, at least I didn't, I, you know, and I, I was most fairly well read. Mm -hmm. I've read most of the commentaries and all the books that And, and again, that's because they hide information. Yeah. The church leadership hides well, information. And, and, and again, it then points out the, the contradiction when it comes along 1890, just three or four years later, where they, yeah. where they give it up so readily. 
Well, and the polygamists don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll catch okay. it next time. Thanks, Earl. So we wonder how it works when people claim they believe in someone yet they don't believe what someone said. Jesus taught there's no state of being married in heaven. Mormons don't believe him. Jesus taught about hell and there's no second chance after death. But Mormonism says there's no hell as Jesus taught it. Jesus said he's God the Creator and that he created all things. That includes Lucifer. If Jesus created Lucifer, he cannot be his brother or ours. But they don't believe that either. Jesus taught that celestial glory, heaven, is a gift. It can't be earned and that his word would never fail. He taught that marriage is with one man and one woman. And Joseph Smith denied all those truths. What would you say on that day when God asked you, why did you believe Joseph instead of Jesus? See you next time. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.